This is R.J. Rushdoony, Easy Chair Number 348, October the 4th, 1995. This evening, Douglas Murray, Andrew Sandlin, Mark Rushdoony, and I will discuss the corruption of justice. This has not been a good year for the judiciary of the United States, nor for the federal government. A number of sensational trials culminating in the Simpson case and a number of congressional hearings that were publicized let the American people in on the fact that our system is not what it should be. Of course, it did not get there overnight. I recall, and there is a long, long history of the miscarriage of justice and racism in justice and the like. But in the late 40s, when I was on the Indian Reservation, I reported something to some authorities and then to the grand jury. And it led to an investigation in which it seemed to be that the law authority in a particular area was arresting any Indian, male or female, who was mildly drunk, to shake them down, throw them in jail overnight, and to rape the females. It was very interesting to see what happened in that trial because a tremendous amount of money was poured into fighting the case, fighting for an acquittal, which was the result. And everything was done to so befuddle the Indians who were testifying that uh, they hardly knew what to say after a few objections by the defense attorney, and they were unable to speak out as a result. That was a very vivid introduction to injustice in the courts. Then about 23, 22 years ago, I sat in court and watched another case. Not that I hadn't watched others as well, but this was interesting from another perspective. The trial was held because our daughter Joanna, who was working in a, a woman's dress shop or a clothing shop, a very expensive place, had a group of people come in working together, buying everything in sight, and Joanna was immediately suspicious. They're not ready to try anything on, she concluded. They must have 
stolen credit cards. The manager of the store was unwilling to do anything because this looked like such a big sale. But uh, Joanna is stubborn in case uh, nobody has noticed. Uh, and she held her ground and the manager reluctantly did something and sure enough, these were professional thieves. They were taken to court. They had a great many stolen credit cards on their possession, in their possession. Now, the appalling thing in the case, and this is why I've chosen that particular trial, was that the defense attorney confronted with such overwhelming evidence acted as though the police had planted the cards or something like that. The whole point of his argument was a premise that was totally fictitious, totally at odds with the facts, and the policeman was treated as though he were a criminal. This was in a court in Los Angeles. Now, it was a sickening case because you wondered how police would put up with such a thing without losing their temper. I cite those two examples to call attention to a problem. The criminal has all kinds of rights. The person on trial has all kinds of rights as to how you can question him, what kind of evidence you can introduce, and so on. But there are no like immunities for the police officer or the complainant. And we have reached a very sorry state as a result. It's no wonder that uh, Governor Wilson, in the wake of the Simpson trial, has said that something has to be done to limit the abuse of the police. He didn't put it that baldly, but that is what he said. We do have a very, very serious problem, a growing problem. The unhappy fact is that this condition was created by the courts on appeals. The state Supreme Courts, the federal judiciary, the U.S. Supreme Court, they have all worked to make conviction more and more difficult and the English spectator recently called attention to the fact that in England the kind of evidence that it is admissible works two ways. There are decisions that say certain kinds of evidence are totally inadmissible and other decisions that give a contrary opinion. The courts there have actually said 
that if someone, like a policewoman in a particular case, who was talking to a criminal, a man who was bragging of a particular murder, that she had no right to have a hidden tape recorder on her body without notifying him that you are being taped. Now, mm. that is truly absurd. But this is the kind of situation the courts have created. Today we have, in most states, the death penalty again. But there are thousands of people on death row because the courts are doing everything to stall their execution because they are against the death penalty. Well, with that general introduction, Douglas, would you like to comment on the problem? You have an experience in law enforcement. Well, the, uh, the courts have become, with a very few notable exceptions, theaters of the absurd yes. from the Supreme Court down to your local municipal courts. Uh, they become politicized from the Supreme Court down to the local courts to the extent that we are now getting the kind of government we deserve and we now are now getting the kind of justice that we deserve. We no longer demand that a biblical standard be followed in our criminal justice system. And in fact, the uh, lawyers being trained today are trained along the lines of uh, whatever is relative to the times, whatever is relevant to the times, whatever people, uh, the majority of the people want. There is no standard, the, uh, uh, no judicial standard. The laws have become so Byzantine uh, and complex, uh, which is the same as the IRS rules and a lot of other th uh, regulations that our government runs by, Nobody understands them anymore. The lawyers don't understand the law. The ju most of the judges don't know the uh, understand the law uh, because it's become too relative. They rely, try to rely too heavily on case law because that kind of gives them a consensus of what other uh, uh, people in the judiciary are thinking and. Uh, so they will take a position not too far from the prevailing thinking in the, in the judiciary. So it's gradually dumbed itself down to the point where there is no standard. It's whatever they make it up as they go along. Uh, we've all heard the, the cliche that the law is whatever the judges say it is. There is, the people in this country no longer can rely on what the Constitution says. Uh, they can no longer rely any longer on uh, what the laws that govern their daily lives say. So there is really only one standard left, but the the uh, courts have turned away from it and the people have turned away from it. And that's the biblical standard which started the whole thing in the first place. And that's where we've gotten lost. Uh, police officers are human beings and they are frustrated to the point of uh, many of them are virtually giving up. And they go from day to day, from situation to situation, 
and uh, their job is not to dispense justice. Uh, their job is to stop crimes in progress, to keep the peace, in other words. That's, that's the responsibility that they're charged with. Any police officer who steps over the line and starts to dispense justice is in trouble, and in fact, we're all in trouble when that happens. Um, the attorneys, everybody, you know, watches Perry Mason and uh, Matt Locke and so forth on television, and they think that these kindly, uh, wise gentlemen are in effect uh, have the uh, have the uh, the power and the wisdom of judges and they don't they are advocates uh, they have become uh, they do not seek justice they seek a result they are hired guns and uh, when they go into court they do whatever they have to do short of going to jail themselves in order to uh, get a desired result and uh, the ones that get the results are the ones who are paid the best and one of the problems in the legal system is that we have law schools that are turning out uh, cheap attorneys uh, there are people who really don't have the the gray matter the ability to think they may know some of the law but they don't have the ability to think and uh, they've been brought up on this uh, legal relativity theory and uh, it's it's down to the level whatever they can get by the judge is what they can get by with and we have too many attorneys and too many of them are very poor quality uh, it's not the, the the legal system is not very self-regulating and uh, there are periods of time when the law schools because of popularity of a television program if you can imagine such a thing when LA law first came on the air because it glamorized the the money and the power and the sex and so forth on television suddenly there was a great upsurge in the number of young people applying for law school obviously going into the law for in their mind all of the right reasons but for the for the ultimate health of the the legal system in this country, they're going into it for all of the wrong reasons, and the um, the the system is in trouble. And I think the lawyers know it, the judges know it, the police know it, and their people now are beginning to see because of events over the past few years, recent trials. The people are beginning to see that the system is not working, and um, uh, you you can't blame the I mean, you can blame the police as individuals when they get out of control, but uh, you take a dog and chain them up and whip them long enough and they'll turn on you. And uh, uh, the uh, and you're going to have isolated instances of police who turn rogue, who go bad, but they're not supermen. And uh, uh, there was a time in this country when uh, the police were looked up to, uh, they were the, the the backbone of the community, uh, but now a greater and greater segment of people are suspicious and wary and don't want to have anything, don't even talk to a police officer. They're, in fact, they are social outcasts and socially isolated, and uh, they have a very difficult time. Uh, Fifty percent of their marriages go bad or more. Uh, 
they have a very they have a high rate of suicide next to dentists uh, they have one of the highest rates of suicides in this country of any profession and uh, there's obviously something wrong when you have those kinds of numbers so those are all symptoms of an overall problem in the in the legal system in this country but the 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 uh, uh, the answer is going to have to come from the bottom up not from the top down and people are going to have to realize that the standard is going to have to be God's word and biblical law and we either get back to that or we continue to descend into the path, uh, down the path of chaos uh, into anarchy and we're getting we're we're at, we're at the we're at the threshold of anarchy now and it doesn't take very much to set mm-hmm. it off and we've seen numerous instances over the past few years that it doesn't take I mean just the power going off electrical power going off causes anarchy <clears throat> causes looting uh, in, inclement weather which has been around for long time that sets people off and they start looting you know down in the Caribbean islands and the Virgin Islands all they had to do was have a little hurricane activity and right away everybody ran out and started looting all of the businesses and, and stores uh, when it gets to the point where a, um, a judicial decision makes an entire city uh, live in in terror because they fear the uh, the results uh, we can't be very far from a total uh, collapse uh, into anarchy it's prudent to get some historical perspective uh, on this uh, how did we get into this mess why don't we uh, discuss that I mean Rush has pointed out wisely that law is inescapably religious thus the corruption of the judiciary reflects a change uh, in the uh, religious system a religious ethos of a nation. We want to talk about Oliver Wendell Holmes earlier than that. Uh, you once here that uh, have a little more memory than maybe Mark and I do. Uh, where? How did this happen? How did this develop? Well, I, I pursuant to that uh, and, and to what uh, um, uh, Doug, Douglas was saying, the we don't have a. Uh, a justice system. We have a judicial system with a system of rules and decisions uh, that have been handed down over generations and many very often they conflict or completely uh, do an about face on a policy and a judicial proceeding or, or policy that was in existence before. And the difference is, going back to the concept of law, is we don't have a justice system we don't believe that there is a basic justice based in an absolute truth. Our whole political system is based on the fact that we obey the laws created by man. And now, and we've created a court system now, or we've allowed a court system to develop, which now is making laws in addition to those made by our legislatures. So we are under this maze of rules which are changing all the time. And we have to have high-priced lawyers, teams of lawyers even, to sort through the decisions, the precedents, what the precedents, what's admissible, what isn't admissible, what this decision was. Uh, and justice is completely lost because there can be no justice when we are talking about man-made laws. Right. Everything is on the table. And <clears throat> justice is not the key. It's whether we abide by the laws and every judge has to... Um, 
be guided by the, the principle. I can make the decision that I want, but I will be overturned on appeal. In the case of the O.J. Simpson trial, some of the, they were even going to another judge to appeal decisions before the trial was even over. <coughs> so there, there is no justice system. They're following rules. And as man progresses and has more and more rules, it's getting more and more bizarre and less and less justice is coming out of our court system. And that's all we have. We have a court system. We don't have a justice system. And I, we should also say the multiplication of laws is almost always a bad sign. Some of our uh, forefathers recognized that. They would be aghast at the number of laws. As, as Douglas was talking, I was thinking of something that just happened at school today. Boys were talking in the restroom, and I had to ask, I, I said, were you talking in the restroom? Well, so-and-so was talking, and I said, I'm not interested in that. Were you talking in the restroom? Yes. Are you supposed to talk in the restroom? No. And I could, I could administer a penalty right then because they had broken the rule, and their excuses on why it was all right to talk in the restroom or who else was talking weren't really relevant to the fact of what they had done. I could go to the basic justice of that they were disobeying. Whereas if I had appealed, I let them appeal to all their rules and excuses and alibis, um, the principle of the rule could have gotten completely lost. That's right. And that's what we're doing in our courts today. We're following all the rules and uh, following all the procedures so that everything will fall into place in appeals and the judges, because if a judge is overruled, if a judge thinks something's wrong and he just makes a ruling that he thinks is the right thing to do and it won't hold up on appeal, that looks very bad for a judge when he wants to be promoted. If a judge has been overruled repeatedly by higher courts, he will not get appointed to a higher court, which is what most judges would, would, would like to see. One of the things that's happened in my lifetime is that the public perception of lawyers has changed. When I was a child and when I was growing up and in my early years as a pastor, a judge did not have the crowded calendar that he does now. If there were a trial, it got on the calendar almost uh, immediately. Pick your time. That was it. That was because the number of criminal lawyers needed then was slight compared to today. The lawyers were corporate lawyers and uh, so on, specializing in a number of fields. And their work was a respected kind of work. But uh, with the rise of crime, which was not created by the lawyers, it created a growing demand for the criminal lawyer. And it has created a very different kind of uh, lawyer than we have had in the past. One of the most famous criminal lawyers in California in the oh, era between the two wars and a little bit after was Jake Ehrlich. Jake Ehrlich in San Francisco was a very, very 
powerful criminal lawyer, and if you were in deep trouble or you had committed a crime, you went to Jake Ehrlich. But Jake Ehrlich was something of a scholar as well. And he actually wrote a book on the Bible and law. He analyzed there the biblical foundations of our law system. Now, there are not many uh, criminal lawyers today that could produce such a book or would even be interested in producing it. So, it has been a totally uh, different kind of scene in recent years. And the image of the lawyer comes from the criminal lawyer. This is why they have a bad reputation, lawyers as a whole. And it's understandable. I know times when I have been totally furious by what people on our mailing list tell me that they've experienced and what uh, criminal lawyers have done. It is a portion of the profession that has declined dramatically. Related to that is a point made uh, oh, not too long ago by a prominent black in which he objected to the uh, idea that most policemen were bad eggs. And he said, uh, you can also hear some people say that most preachers are no good. And he said, I will make a generalization. In any profession, in our time, roughly 10% are bad eggs. Well, given our culture, we should not be surprised by that. But if that 10% is in a position to give uh, prominence to itself, it's going to throw a bad light on everyone else in their profession. So whether it's politicians or lawyers or ministers or teachers, you name it, you're going to have a percentage that are bad and they are going to be the most conspicuous, especially if there's a great deal of attention given to their particular uh, line of work. Well, I think, too, on the police, when you, when you look at our culture and what police did 50 or 60 years ago and what would motivate someone at that time to go into police work or even 30 or 40 years ago is different than what is going through somebody's mind who is go wants to go into police work today. True. When you look at our, our culture and what is mm -hmm. happening and what they have to face every day, um, a lot of people who would make fine police officers and who are, uh, would be a credit to the profession don't want any part of that. They don't want to deal with that element every day. Yeah. It would be too defeating. And the fact is that when when they say a lot of these people on the streets, they see them back, and they don't really see in any resolution as far as justice goes. They they have to enjoy the activity of being a police officer, 
and there are a lot of different things which might motivate someone to enjoy that. And the macho guy who likes the uniform, who likes the badge, he likes people seeing him with a big shiny gun on his hip and, a, and the badge, uh, this doesn't necessarily lead to the right kind of person going into law enforcement. Well, they get hooked on the excitement. Somebody uh, told me 20 years ago that, that cops either love it or they hate it and they look for an opportunity mm -hmm. to get out, and some of them think it's too late to get out, and they go through it hating their job all along. In many cases, it's glamorized, but as Douglas will tell us, most of police work is not glamorous at all. No, it's uh, long periods, uh, I think there's an old cliche, that long periods of boredom punctuated by a few moments of stark terror. <laughs> Rush, I wanted to ask you what uh, seems to me that in uh, recent years, recent sensational trials, that the, um, the judges are being ridiculed now routinely uh, by uh, the media, uh, they're caricatured, uh, they're the butt of jokes if it's uh, any kind of a sensational trial as we've seen recently and uh, how can the general population have any respect for the law under those conditions? Well, there is less and less respect for the law. A judge, no matter who he was or what he was, was still given respect. Even judges who had a problem with alcohol, which was not uncommon, uh, were still treated with respect because their office entitled them to it and people felt that uh, it was like uh, flag burning to show a disrespect for people in authority. Of course, they didn't even dream of flag burning in those days, but you get the idea. It's uh, been a part of the general disrespect that has come in. I think it began with the family. I can recall the shock I felt coming from an old country type of background when I heard boys at school talking about their old man. Uh, that shocked me. You never uh, talked like that. And it was none of the foreign-born or uh, those who grew up in an immigrant family that ever spoke that way. It was... Uh, those who had been here for some time, some generations. So we've had a democratic spirit, I think you'd have to call it, that has uh, lowered everybody to one's own level so that even children could speak uh, disrespectfully of their fathers, of teachers, old lady Jones, that type of remark. Uh, if I had ever talked that way about a teacher, I would have gotten slapped. And you wake up on the other side of the room. Yes. Uh, I wanted to ask you also, uh, uh, a lot of people feel that perhaps the judiciary should not be picked from practicing attorneys, that they should be 
men who have studied the law all of their lives, been law professors, uh, university law professors, and perhaps don't have any trial uh, attorney experience. It seems that uh, there's a great deal of cynicism has grown up because people will say the attorneys who can't make a living practicing law become legislators Mm -hmm. and write the laws. And then uh, after a certain period of time, they run for judgeships. Now, judgeships don't pay very well compared to what a trial attorney can make. Mm -hmm. The average trial attorney who's worth the salt can make at least 250 to 350 or $1,000 a year or more, and a judge maybe makes 70 or $80,000 a year. So what would motivate an, a good attorney to want a judgeship? So I just wonder what you thought about this matriculation process, whether it's good for the system or bad for the system. Yes, uh, as I've said on other occasions, it used to be that a judge was an older man who was part of a major law firm and now that he was older the law firm would run him for a judgeship as a kind of uh, reward. He would be cut in on the firm's profits. He would excuse himself if there were a conflict of interest. This, for years, gave us, especially in our big cities, superior judges. But uh, that's no longer tolerated, and judgeships are given to political hacks much of the time. This is not to say that there aren't some fine judges there, men who feel they have a calling in that area. But we have had a decline. Then uh, attempts to get outstanding law professors in have largely failed. The two most notable attempts in recent years were efforts to make Charles Rice of the Notre Dame Law School a very remarkable man, a candidate for the Supreme Court, but his name was always dropped out in the process. And then John T. Noonan, the Californian, a great law professor and writer of note, but again, his name was uh, dropped out. It is interesting that in both cases, Uh, the men, Rice and Noonan, were Catholics. Uh, Rice, very conservative, Noonan, not so, but both brilliant scholars. The uh, Catholics have produced better lawyers precisely because they have not separated the faith from the teaching of law. In uh, other law schools, they're overwhelmingly secular. In the two or three instances where they are uh, Protestant, they still 
not done much more than to mimic the secular humanistic law schools. So the problem really is in the screening or selection process. Yes. Because bar associations now have to pass on the qualifications of an individual to become a judge. State bar associations, if they don't give their okay, the guy doesn't get in. And the state bar associations are almost all to the left, particularly in the major states. So the state bar associations are not the best source of recommendations. We are not getting the best men recommended. Of the men whom Republican and Democratic presidents have named to the Supreme Court since World War II, the majority have been of uh, mediocre uh, qualifications. Mark, you were talking uh, earlier about the um, jury system today, and I uh, wanted to make the comment in light of the Simpson trial that it seems that juries are more and more susceptible to uh, emotional arguments and less and less are relying on the facts of the case. I think that was particularly evident in the um, the uh, Simpson trial, and I think Johnny Cochran was especially... Uh, guilty of that sort of thing. How prevalent is that, and would anybody care to discuss that? Well, there's a factor involved here. Uh, We touched on it here with the screening process and the judiciary, where as far as I'm concerned, it's judicial tampering. Mm -hmm. And we are now seeing jury tampering even before the jury is impaneled. We see, uh, instead of just uh, peremptory challenges to get rid of somebody because uh, they don't have the mental capacity to understand the uh, nature of scientific evidence or whatever is going to be presented. Uh, people, they, they now have jury selection uh, the experts, specialists. Yes, right. And these people are running profiles, they're running uh, psychological evaluations and to find out if this is an emotional person, a person who yields to emotional arguments and so forth. So, you know, uh, they they sent Jimmy Hoffa to jail for tampering with a jury, and yet the 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 legal process is now tampering with the jury system with this stupid selection process to get a result. And that requires money, which well, means the whole that people thing is that about money exactly nobody so th- do this for nothing. So uh, defendants that have a lot of money can buy justice. That's what you're implying. And that's another violation of biblical law. Well, one of the things that makes it impossible to get a good jury is that at $3 a day, how many competent people are going to sit on a jury? How many people can afford to take time off from their work? In one instance, I heard of a businessman who, when someone who worked for him was called to jury duty, said, I'll pay you your full salary because you're a thoughtful, decent man, and I'd like to see someone like you on the jury. But that doesn't happen very often. No. Now, the... uh, 
Last time I was called for jury uh, duty, and I've never served on a jury, because when you find they find that you're a minister, you're disqualified. I do think that somebody ought to put up the money and fight that to the Supreme Court, that excluding a minister should be considered a serious offense. Now, if a black is excluded, that's the very serious offense. Why ministers? Are you afraid of a moral perspective? That's right. Well, the last time I was uh, called for jury duty, and the panel was chosen before I ever got up there, but I sat and watched and what was happening was this. The number one choices were older women, retired, widows preferably, who watched soap operas, watching soap operas all day long. And questions were asked that pointed directly to that qualification. And, uh, uh they were relying on the discretion of uh, the jurors to uh, feel an empathy uh, for the person on trial. And I was told by someone if the uh, girl were... Uh, sleazy as all get out, dressed in uh, torn jeans and unclean from head to foot, dirty hair. She was cleaned up to look like your neighbor's sweet little girl. And uh, that if possible, they would try to persuade the uh, men on trial, the young men, to uh, get a haircut, and to dress neatly and so on. So that uh, someone told me once they could not uh, recognize at once the, the person on trial from what they had seen at the time of the arrest. Well, it's part of the theater of the court. Mm -hmm. It's it's not reality mm -hmm. any longer. The theater uh, of the absurd, as you said earlier. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Everything is not what it seems. Well, as I understand the whole concept of a jury, a jury emerged uh, uh, from the concept that there were injustices by the nobility, by the, the, the kings, and a jury was to be um, to represent justice by the people who are sometimes oppressed and so that a man could not be convicted except by his own peers and that's fine as long as you have a core of people who that you can draw on that believe in justice and that that in which there's some still an integrity and once you destroy the integrity once society has devolved as we've seen it to a certain level there's no more justice in the hearts of the people than there is in a particular judge or a government 
or anywhere else. Yeah, it's everybody's what what they feel. Yeah, we're just going through the motions now. Where we we've got the the form, but not the substance. I'm sure that right. the founding fathers of this country were following the Kiss principle. Keep it simple, stupid. And you know they didn't want all of these uh, rules. We've broadened what constitutes a a juror to the point of an absurdity. Uh, the fact of excluding either a police officer, or excluding a minister, or excluding anybody else because of their profession is ridiculous. The only qualifications there should be for a jury, a juror is that he's uh, uh, an adult uh, and uh, that uh, he's not been uh, uh, in a mental institution and uh, is smart enough, uh, got enough between his ears to be able to understand what's being said, and uh, you know, a, a personal, a person of reasonable character and reasonable judgment, and uh, uh, occupation should have nothing to do with it, whether or I not they can serve on a jury. I think part of it, just in the limited comments I heard from the O.J. Simpson trial, that that was that really concerned me was, I think this falls back on on the on the educational system and. We, they were apparently some of them, if or not all of them, weren't capable of understanding the scientific evidence. A forewoman of that trial said she had never heard of DNA until the trial. This is something you have in every high school mm. science class. This has yeah. been this has been around. The DNA has been uh, since the 50s. Somebody won a Nobel yeah. Prize for it in the 50s for for develop Watson and Crick, I believe, uh, for developing the the, the model of, of DNA. And it forms the basics of so much modern science, and that they had never heard of it until the trial. And one of the jurors said they completely ignored the scientific evidence. They called it garbage in, garbage out. Well, I think the reason that they're ignoring it because I don't think anybody trusts it. Whether it's done, whether the science is done right or not, it wasn't around when the founding fathers set up our judicial system and it, and it hasn't been around for the bulk of the history of this country so the vast majority of people in this country who are daily treated to conflicting scientific evidence whether it's drink coffee don't drink coffee uh you know eat vegetables or not were continually bombarded with these conflicting statements by supposed experts on everything from soup to nuts so nobody believes in anything and they're certainly not going to trust their lives and fortunes to something uh, even if it has overwhelming statistical validity they're not going to put their lives in jeopardy or or put in or have to put anybody else's lives in jeopardy I, because of DNA evidence I don't I don't think that was the problem I don't think they understood what it was I don't think they had a basic knowledge of high school science uh, because uh, on basis of much high school biology is the idea that DNA and the chromosomes are unique to every individual. That's what makes us unique. That's what determines our hair color and everything else. So it does create a distinction from one from one sample yeah, to another. Why, why should we trust so-called experts like Fong and the rest of these guys to get up on the witness stand and tell us what to think about scientific evidence? If it's if it's so. Uh, useful, then the average person should be able to understand without a scientific background. Everybody understands what the murder weapon is. Everybody understands what a witness is. Everybody understands 
what has traditionally been the basic factors that go into convicting somebody. Nobody understands scientific evidence and nobody trusts it except the attorneys because they think it's a powerful and persuasive argument simply because they can bamboozle juries with it. They can whip them back and forth any way they want to depending on who's got the best experts. The same with the psychiatrist who supposedly can tell whether somebody is crazy or not. Nobody trusts those people. But that's that's quite subjective. Psychoanalysis is entirely subjective. Uh, yeah, I there think. is an important aspect here to the matter of the juries. The old phrase is a trial by a jury of your peers. That phrase began back in medieval England when the peers of the realm, the lords, the dukes, the barons, did not want to be tried by anyone below them or by the king ruling uh, against them. They wanted their own kind. They wanted barons and dukes and the like to be on the jury who would understand their world and the problems of it. Yes. Now, we have had in recent years trials that involved very definitely a technical knowledge of the market. It was easy to convince ignorant juries that these brokers were crooks. When very often there was no law governing that, what they did was not dishonest, but they were creating a new crime and convinced everybody that this was a great evil from way back, and it led to conviction. And uh, this is true in a number of professions. If I were a lawyer, I would not want people who are non-lawyers who would have a hostility to the lawyers on a jury. If I were being tried for having done something, lawyers would best understand whether I were guilty or innocent. Absolutely. And the same is true of police officers. Well, incidentally, that's the reason that the police officers are not allowed to serve on juries is because... They get raked over the coals so consistently by attorneys that yes. the attorneys don't want them on the on, yes. on a jury. Well, the point is, our juries now are picked for their ignorance, and the result is the jury system is now bad, except in some states like uh, Wyoming, with a small population where the jury is likely to be good, solid working men or ranchers and the like. These people have a hard-headed integrity. But I have sat in courtrooms more than once and the jury has not impressed me with any hard-headed integrity. Well, they probably don't get much television out in most areas of Wyoming, so they're not tainted with that. Mark made a good point a couple of minutes ago. I think the Constitution presupposes a Christian ethos. Mm -hmm. And one reason that we can't have justice today is because 
our religious views have changed, and you can't rely upon a jury that doesn't have a concept of justice, so uh, it's bad all the way around. Um, those framers weren't perfect men, wouldn't agree with all of us theologically, weren't all Calvinists, but they were influenced. Uh, many of them were Christians. The ones that weren't were influenced by a Christian ethos, um, but uh, that's, that's gone today. Yes. John Adams said after the Constitution was ratified that it would be a mistake to expect too much from it, that it presupposed a strong Christian people, and without it, it would be worthless. Some people to put too much faith in documents. Documents yes. will not save us. Mm-hmm. No. Documents will not supply character. That's right. That's exactly right. Is Just, it, excuse me. Yeah. Is it possible to reform our judicial system? I don't think it can be reformed without a return to biblical law. Today we have at the basis of our justice system uh, an idea of law which is humanistic and we are progressively dropping anything biblical so that we've actually had people question whether murder should be called a crime because it represents a mental disease and so on. So that how can we have a judicial system and laws when people are totally devoid of any character, any knowledge of God's law, and the law that is invented is man's law. We are progressively replacing the few remnants of God's law still on the books with man-made substitutes. Something that Andrew mentioned is about buying, uh, you know, high, the high-priced attorneys, and um, is is the fact that justice, even if it is acquired through through the court system, can destroy you financially? Is that justice? Is it justice if it if it costs you a fortune and all your wealth? Is that is that justice? That is a very important point, and it was wrestled with a long time ago. Uh, this is why. In the colonial period, there were colonies which forbade lawyers to exist in that, in, in their boundaries and to practice their calling. And their reason was that, uh, they recognized that justice can destroy a person if it is costly. Well, the answer to that was that uh, most of the early states adopted the English common law and the limitation on a lawyer's fees were very, very strict uh, in terms of today's world, ridiculously low. I think they ran something like 25 and $50 a case. Well, this is why common law, which is really biblical law uh, was uh, shoved to the sidelines law schools by and large do not teach it it's still 
is on the books of some states, most notably New York and uh, California. So the uh, occasionally a judge who knows the uh, common law will make a sweeping decision that uh, pays no attention to the statutes. Uh, I know that about 25 years ago a landmark decision was made in California by Judge Armand Arabian who is now in the state Supreme Court in which uh, I believe he uh, ruled illegal the usual kind of uh, routine that uh, a raped woman was put through so that now she doesn't have a great deal of the humiliation that was once the case, uh, and yet the trial can proceed in terms of the facts. So uh, occasionally we still do have a fallback by some judge on uh, common law. Uh, because common law moves, and I hesitate to speak because I'm not a lawyer, in terms of general rules of equity, it can be more radical and more conservative because it can say uh, we're paying no attention to the statutes. We're interested in justice. Well, our time is up. Thank you all for listening, and God bless you.